listening to How Real Estate Works, your one-stop shop for all things real estate. Whether you're looking to learn about real estate investing, buying your first house, growing as a real estate agent, and all things financial freedom related, we got you covered. With co-hosts Jesse Johnson and Matt Talent. I'm here with uh, Matt and Sean Lowry. Uh, Matt, why don't you tell us a little bit about Sean? Yeah, so episode two, our first guest. Really excited to have him on. Um, Sean Lowry is a Howe Group agent and was recognized last year as a top producing compass agent in the Philadelphia region. Um, he's also done buy and hold, flip investing, and is an apartment syndicator, syndicating over 70 plus units. So we're really excited to have you on, Sean. Thank you, guys. Yeah, and as we discussed, you had a, you had your own show, uh, Wealth Wednesdays. So you're you are famous in in my eyes. Yeah, yeah. There's there's some people that would agree with you. You were far <laughs> between. So um, well, first, thanks for coming on, and and uh, I I uh, hope you're staying cool over there. But what's uh, tell me, um, you know, how long have you been in the real estate world? So I got my license in 2007. Before that, I had dabbled in investing, and then. And a, and, a, and a real estate appraising too, come to think of it. And then back into a sales license from a random person I met at an investment at an investment meetup group. And she's like, why don't you get your license? I'm like, okay, sure. And then there I, there I go from 2007 to today. So 13 years selling and about as many years investing. Excellent. Um, so tell me what it was like when you got started. Like, was it gangbusters? Like, how was, how was the business in 2007? I think all the agents I met around that time, maybe it was 2008, I don't know. Does it make a difference? <laughs> Somewhere in that period of time. Just a recession. Just a, Yeah, it was the recession, but everybody yeah. was living the glory days, I guess, of 2004 to 2006, telling me all the stories about multiple offers. Pretty much how it is right now was, I guess, how it was back then. So I didn't experience that until only a couple of years ago. It was uh, grinding my way through short sales and and a lot of hustle. So it was uh, different back then than it was now, but I'm kind of glad I started then because that's all I knew. It was a rough market, but that was normal to me. I agree with that. You, you learn, if you can learn, if you can make it in a, in a tough market, you can, you, you'll flourish in an upward trending market. So, um, so I'm interested though in like, what were the things that you tried early on in your career that, you know, Let's go with tried and failed, and then we can talk about tried and success that you're probably still doing today. So, what were a couple of things that you're like, you know, I'm going to try this, I'm going to try that, because you know, you know, the real estate world. There's just so many things you could do. Well, I mean, when I first started, I, I had really no idea what it was all about to get the gist of being a real estate agent. So, I, I did open houses three weekends every month for two or three years, and I didn't get a single piece of business from that <laughs> until maybe year three or four when I had given that up. It was a grind, but uh, I was, I had energy back then, Jesse, so it was, it was perfectly normal. Um, no, I was you know, doing the very traditional things. I was doing floor time, which Matt has no idea what that is, but nope. <laughs> fielding phone calls coming in from leads or hoping they would come in. And the traditional methods of sit and wait and hope. Wow. And so what we're saying is that didn't work out. Not, not effectively, not consistently, especially. <laughs> so um, when did you, so what was the first thing that you started doing that, you know, you, you said like, wow, this is actually making 
progress in my, you know, I'm, I'm making progress in my career now. I think, I mean, just in general, it was following up with whatever leads leads for individuals that were looking to buy or sell that I did have. And it's just the follow up. Yeah. I learned, I, and I, at that point I, I didn't have much to do. So I just, I pursued them with passion you know? and it was, it worked out. It, it, it often did. So following up on leads is as true then as it is today. Uh, but really it was at the, I, I was fortunate to start in a large real estate office with, I consider great agents and mentors in hindsight. And I would hear this group of agents, the, the top producing agents making calls in the secret room. And I would at floor desk be listening to them in this closed room, but I could hear them. And I was always intrigued. What were they doing? And that, that eventually transitioned to me getting into that room and learning it was you know, cold calling and, and using scripts to, to pursue opportunities. So uh, that was 2010 when that started. Ah, uh, the good old days. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I, I actually see, I mean, you have a lot of success now with, with lead follow-up, uh, getting business from people that I hear you on the phone with people calling and talking to people that, you know, you know, that may be six to 18 months old that you're just, you know, following up again, seeing how things are going. Yeah. Uh, and that's, I mean, the script, the concept of script is it, that a lot scripts, dialogues that were prepared and I, I memorized them and practiced them so much where they became second nature. So one thing that people have said throughout the years is that I sound very conversational and they probably don't even recognize that I'm using a script, but that is what helped me with my personality style, which it's not natural for me to have these type of conversations. Uh, but I was fully capable of that because of the scripts. That's what helped me get gain momentum. And then once I got a taste of success from using prepared dialogues, it was just, it was just part of my, my professional life. What, what you mentioned your personality style, uh, what is your, you know, your disc profile? I think that's probably the most commonly known. Yeah. I mean, if, if you're familiar with the disc profile, D I S C I am heavily weighted towards the S N C, which if you look at the makeup of a traditional high producing real estate agent, that's not me, <laughs> I would say maybe, maybe I'm wrong there, but it's, I think just the natural tendency is to, in a sales environment to be uncomfortable and whether that's me receiving a sales pitch or giving one that's the first thing that comes into my into my gut is oh you know so the sc is uh someone that is empathetic in my own words that i do pick up on emotions i can read a room well i can pick up on other people's personality styles quickly and that does help me adapt and the c is the highly analytical which and we, uh, when I do a comparative market analysis, it takes me a good two to three hours for every house, minimum. And you know, there's other people that we know that take ten minutes, uh, but that's just how I that's how I function. So when I get to the appointment, I can I can speak with confidence on what I prepared, and it clicks for some people and it doesn't for others. So, awesome, man. Um, and I think um, you know naturally you know through learning scripts and and going on appointments and growing your business you started to grow a team um let's talk a bit a bit about that so what you know when did you decide to hire, make your first hire and what was your first hire i have to think back i think it was i oh yes that's right someone i had uh 
kindness for my memory banks. I had hired a part-time assistant, and I mean, I think the the model, if you if you think back to the model that we were basing it on, was wasn't it hire an assistant first? And oh, then, yeah. Yes. So I did that, and because I was still good with the workload, I, I didn't have the, my kid. My first child was born in 2010, and so I was still in hustle mode, working most days of the week, and fine with that. So the assistant helped fill in the blanks a little bit, um, but there were no, the challenge was there was, first of all, wasn't the right seat on the bus for that individual and there was no system in place. And you know, I just kind of did things willy nilly. So it was a learning lesson that first time, but right around 20, 2011, I would say, is when I, I made that first plunge. Yeah. So, um, well, I did it wrong. So I, I, like, I like to let everybody know that I, I own my mistakes, but I remember, you know, my first hire actually still works for us. So I can't say um, that I did a bad thing, but my first hire was Jackie Christman or Jackie Nearland. And uh, yeah, and we added more business without adding any admin. Um, so I, I remember those days. I think that, that was uh, 2010, 2011, probably the same time as you. Um, and then after that, you know, you learn how to hire. I mean, how, how many admins did you go through be before finding like a really solid admin? Uh, for the Sean Lowry team, definitely two that come to mind. Yeah, and uh, until I until I learned the the right way to approach the interview process and some tools that help with that through through Keller Williams and I forgot the name of the name of the the process, but it was extremely helpful for me to dig deep. And really, my mindset was to make sure that the individual that I was going to hire was was in the right seat. Yeah, to avo to avoid the you know, that painful process of realizing quickly that not the right fit, but taking too yeah. long to let that person go. No, so. I, I'm with you on that. Um, I, I went through six admins. <laughs> so. I'm not laughing at you. I can, I can relate. And Just one or two or six. It's no, I mean, it is, it's, it's a thing. And um, none of them were wrong people. They were just in the wrong seat. Um, yep. The, you know, what, you know, if, if you're if you're listening to this and you want to learn something today, realize that just because you like somebody doesn't mean they're the right hire for that seat. Um, and identify the seat, know what the seat's supposed to do, the person is supposed to do, and then find the person that matches the seat, not the, you know, because it's so easy to go out and find somebody who's dynamic and, you know, engaging and you like them and you want to spend time with them. But you hire them and they can't do the work. And then you're like, why do I dislike this person? Or do why, why is this person failing me? Um, because you put them in the wrong seat. And that's, that's your, you know, that's our responsibility. Anytime we're hiring somebody is, is to identify the seat for them. And uh, that way they can be successful. Yeah. So. And I remember it was, it was referred to as cul-de-sac talent. And I forget yeah. the other, the other side of it, but cul-de-sac talent to me meant you would, give them something to do or, or lay out a project or a vision. And most of it will come right back to your place. It'll kind of go around and come back. And that's, right. that's when you know over time that it's not the right fit. But I think eventually I struck gold uh, with, with a summer intern sort of thing and, and was able to bring that individual back for another, another summer. And then, um, yeah, it was great. So when we were building the team from 2011 to 20, I don't know, whenever I started, how, 2018? Yeah. It was, uh, yeah, it was a great time. It just helped me with my kids growing. Two, two children allowed me to free up time to focus on them. 
and not to say it didn't have its own set of challenges, as I'm sure you can appreciate, but yeah, I think if there's a right way to do it, if you're looking to build a team, it's certainly, yeah, hire, hire the admin first, but take, take your time with that hire. Yeah. And then uh, eventually bring on salespeople to start freeing up time for yourself. Excellent. So you mentioned moving to how, um, and you know, what, what, kind of uh, spurred that change for you? I mean, I was there, but you know, what, what spurred that change for you? I mean, there were several things. The main overarching thing was I had lost interest in what I was doing to some extent. And so the, the whole sale, the, the building the team and, and certainly the cold calling, it had lost its luster. So I did that for, I would say five solid years, including Saturdays and New Year's Day, you know, and that, like, that, that was five years of going against my natural personality style. I think it caught up to me. So the success in more sales is wonderful. However, it, I was just done. That was it. So I think my team picked up on that. I know my team picked up on that. And I was able to just, just set it up to give them opportunities elsewhere or support them in opportunities elsewhere. And then the how thing, how thing was, <laughs> I mean, it was a mixture of certainly you, Jesse, and you, know, you were someone that I had observed at your office when you were running uh, a large team and learned a lot from what you were doing well. So I respected you and respected Gary Jonas, respect Gary Jonas that uh, someone I had met and you know, at the time was looking more and more into investing, less and less into sales and pulled the bandaid off maybe a little too quickly, but it was time for a change and that's, that's what spurred the, the change to how. Yeah. Well, I think um, clearly we're happy to have you. Um, I mean, you've, you, you, you're always um, a great leader in the office. The, um, the people in the office that are newer, like Matt, have you know, a lot to gain from you know, just these conversations. Um, it's amazing when we start talking scripts because it just, it's amazing. You, you, you spent all that time practicing and honing your skill. And it isn't, you don't get, you get a little bit rusty, but it's still there. The right words to say come out um, and uh, it's impressive. And, uh, but I, I want to kind of segue into where, you know, a place that I know that you're really passionate, which is, is, is the investing side. And, um, you know, my partner here, Matt, is also very, very passionate about investing. And I know he's got a bunch of questions for you. Um, so uh, love to talk about investing. Yeah. Oh, Yes. And I'd love yeah, to talk to Matt about it because, see, Matt and I are cut from the same cloth to some extent. We're both former SEI investment employees that yep. uh, couldn't fight the urge of the whole investment in real estate world. So, yeah, Matt, what do you got? Yeah. Wait, well, but you both have good hair, though. So that's, that's <laughs> you also have that going and, on. And so. a great hat. So, <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, I'm excited for Sean Mattel's investing story because I probably give them a call or a text or an email every two days asking uh, investment questions. But yeah, how did you get started in investing in real estate? And why did you uh, choose that as your vehicle to kind of grow your wealth? You know, I, I don't know, honestly. I, I can't remember. But I remember being at SEI, who was a wonderful place to work, but I was in the wrong seat, <laughs> you know, and yeah. I was on the real estate investing websites all day. And eventually that, that the lack of focus and productivity caught up, but it was a great, great thing. I mean, honestly, it's the right thing to move on. And I mean, to that point, like slight tangent, but like, I, I really believe if you 
trust your gut and your heart and it's overwhelmingly against whatever it is you're doing at this moment, there's probably a good reason for that. I think people get mired in fear of, of making a drastic change. And I get everyone's in a different situation in life, but Matt, I mean, you made a huge change in the past year. Yeah. Um, I did back then too. And several times throughout just reinventing yourself and a lot of good friends that have been through that transition. So I believe in that big time. I really do. Uh, but it's the investing thing. I think the concept of uh, the the catchphrase is financial freedom, or uh, mm-hmm. being a one hundred percenter. So a hundred percent of your 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 expenses in life are covered by passive income from real estate or whatever passive income. That concept made a lot of sense to me. I read Think and Grow Rich. I read Rich Dad Poor Dad. I got involved with uh, real estate investing group Dig locally. This is back in 2004, five, something like that. And just met great people that were a few steps ahead of me. And we created a mastermind group. And that that really accelerated me down the path of wanting to do something. So, yeah. And that, went, that led to me buying a, my neighbor's property at the time. Just randomly. I didn't know what I was doing. I just made an offer at the front door. And after I got yelled at a week later, he said he prayed on it. And they accepted it. So there, there you go. go. Yeah. So thank like, you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> and was that like a house hack? Were you renting that out to like your friends or was that a straight investment property? The first house I bought was a house, sort of a house hack. I bought it with two other friends. So three of us Done. owned it and then we rented out another room to a friend of ours. There was always a friend cycling through that room, but it was basically not quite living for free, but very inexpensively. Yeah. Uh, at a point in time when I didn't have couple of nickels to rub together, but it was a lot of fun, you know, living in Mania, just like you, Matt. So I'm yeah, saying, what, right? what you're doing is what I did. So Financial company, Mania, house yes. hacking, wow. basically the same story. Wow. Yeah. I remember, I remember I was trying to make that jump and uh, I was like, I don't know if I should do it. And I reached out to Sean and he's like, he's like, yeah, he's like been there, done that. He's like, just move on to what you want to do. And it really did change. Like I was, I went from staring at a computer for 10 hours a day to really doing what I love. And so. I love that. And hopefully other people heard that too. It's scary, but I'm telling you, the other side is so much better. It may be completely different than what you think it looks like too. Yeah. So you've, you've done rental, like real estate investing, you've done flipping um, and multifamily. So out of those, what's what's your favorite type of investing, um, and what's your least favorite? My least favorite is the one that I didn't go after, and my favorite is definitely multifamily. Yeah. So, yeah, multifamily. That's that's the the ticket to financial freedom for my family. That's mm-hmm. how we see it. And yeah, like you mentioned earlier, I mean the flips was the the other aspects of it. There's certainly different ways to make money, but as far as Freedom of time, not just financially, but the multifamily to me is the least amount of time I have to invest to, ge- to generate the passive income. Yeah. And you got into that through being a syndicator, right? Yeah, I kind of, yeah, it was, I think at the first one, I mean, the first one was that little single family that I tried to flip. It didn't flip. That's when the market crashed. So I, I had it as a rental until last year and okay. did a 1031 exchange. So. And then the yeah the the multi I'm trying to think the first one was probably with Gary actually, okay first uh, syndication so to speak, where that's the cool thing about 
about real estate investing in general for that like that deal not to get too detailed into one deal but it was it wasn't any it was none of my own money it was just ways that i had a value in, with a group of other investors that they didn't have the time but i did they had the money yeah and i was able to fill in the blanks to to take on some of the sweat that was needed to get that deal to the finish line and earn some equity as a result and so for those who don't know, what is like apartment syndication? How do you kind of get into that, build a network? Sure. Yeah. Syndication is, I would say, I mean, it's, it's obviously different for different situations, but in general, it's multiple individuals that are pulling their money together or their resources or their, their expertise to purchase a property. And that's essentially it. So there's, different roles within a syndication. Most are truly passive investors, people that are saving money from their, their current job, but obviously see the benefit in growing passive income and the many other benefits of, of real estate investing and simply write a check. And then there's other individuals that are more active that are managing the day to day that are acquiring the property, looking for the properties, uh, renting out the properties, so on and so forth. Uh -huh. And as like as a syndicator, can you only go to accredited investors or can you go to anyone and say, hey, I'm I found this apartment building. I want X amount of dollars. Give me five thousand bucks or how does that work? So I, I I'll just cast aside any concerns of legal issues of me answering the way <laughs> I'll just answer it this way. So no, no, uh, I think most syndicators as they take on more and more opportunity, more and more opportunities, more and more buildings, accredited investors are advantageous in that they're typically experienced in investments. Maybe they don't have as many concerns or ask as many questions. So it's less of a, a time drain to be, mm -hmm. to be candid. Uh, but no, absolutely not. I think uh, in my experience, anyone that has an interest in building passive income to eventually offset or take over their their income from their day job is uh, fully capable of getting into a deal. Okay. And do you have to go through, like, is that something you set up through a lawyer, like becoming a syndicator or starting a syndication? I mean, it's, it can be, it depends on the size and complexity of the deal. Again, I'm, I am, I'm ignoring all the, the legal stuff <laughs> completely because default. The right answer is, yeah, probably if it's a security, which means if there's someone writing you a check and there's an expectation of a return, that's the definition of a security. And therefore it should be through a, a security as a securities attorney familiar with that whole process. Sure. In practice, in my experience, if it's a small group of friends and you know, we're all in one state, it's an interest state, it's a deal in Pennsylvania, we're all investing in Pennsylvania. I've, I've many times seen where it's, I mean, obviously an attorney might be involved in drafting up the, the documents for the entity, the LLC typically, or, uh, but outside of that, it's, it's really not that heavy. It's not that difficult to put it together. Sure. And so I know you're looking for five to 50 unit uh, buildings and you have a very strict criteria. So how does that help? like having a set criteria um, and not going outside those guidelines, like fo help you focus on kind of nailing down a building to go after. That's, I mean, that, that is so vital. And I, I do believe there's some 
individuals that can jump around in multiple places at the same time and still crush it. That was that's not the case for me. Sure. I tried that and I really spread myself too thin. So the just to give some quick background, I mean when I came over to Howe, my vision with with Howe was to buy apartment buildings and syndicate them in Columbus, Ohio. I'd spent a lot of time researching different markets, honed in on Columbus and spent months getting nowhere, <laughs> essentially. And why Columbus? What was, what was attractive about that area? Just the demographics. It was all based on employment and employment diversity, um, employment growth and population growth, okay. job growth. I mean, all just the, the signs of a strong base, a strong tenant base and long lasting. So it wasn't just one employer that made up 80% of where people worked in that particular area, such as a military town. Okay. It was a uh, different at different employment classes. It wasn't just all financial, it was financial and education and healthcare. So it all made sense on paper, but honestly, uh, you know, it's in Ohio and it was just too much for me to do that and juggle real estate sales and work acquisitions in Philadelphia development. You know, so it's just, what I learned to answer your question was for me to focus on one thing, go deep on that. It helps you gain an incredible knowledge base. And what you realize is the circle of individuals, both other investors or brokers that are selling those deals or property owners that already own them or investors that want to invest in those deals. It's a very small world. So the deeper you go, the more you're known and the more that you know, and that, that helps you the more opportunity to get attracted to. Definitely. Yeah. I remember when I, I kind of started in real estate, like there's so many different lead gen ideas to do. And you were like, just pick three and stick to them and just get good at those three. Because it is hard. Like when you get started, there's like cold calling, there's open houses, letters, everything. So Sean think, did not recommend open houses though, just to be clear. No, he did not. He said to stay away from that, but <laughs> I put my time in though. And it works yeah. for, it works for some people as we know. Yeah, I can't even do them now. So but I think that was a big thing was focusing on three things or one thing and getting good at those. Um, and you really become like a master of those crafts, staying away from shiny object syndrome. Yeah, and it's out there and it always will be, always. When I when I hosted Wealth Building Wednesday, which was uh, a vehicle that sponsors of deals or people that were putting deals together would be able to pitch their opportunities to other investors. Mm -hmm. It was really cool to hear all these different things, and but I would get so distracted. I'm like, well, that's a really great idea. Let me spend a month yeah. learning about that. And that so time is finite. So when, I, when I'm doing one thing, it takes me away from doing something else, obviously. So again, it's, this is 10 years of figuring out the, the quote unquote hard way, but obviously having success and learning a tremendous amount. But sure. if I could go back in time, I would just stay super focused on whether it's multifamily or flipping, do really well, and then eventually maybe get to a point where you can expand on it. Sure. I have a, I have a question for Sean um, about the Wealth Wednesdays. Um, clearly, you saw success and failure in on those, and failure is a harsh word, but less than successful deals pushed. The ones that were successful, what what you know, what was the common um, thread between those that you saw frequently? Well, I think there's two things that come to mind. Number one is who recommended that individual. So who does that deal sponsor know? And it's all it's all credibility and relationships. It's incredible. Uh, yeah. Most investors, and this is not to diminish their their knowledge or anything, but it's they trust what people they trust say. 
So if this deal sponsor is pitching an opportunity and no one knows who this person is, well, that's an uphill battle for that person. Yeah. And the other thing that comes to mind that was a very common question or a reason that people would invest is what is the track record of that individual in that space? So if it's a multifamily syndicator, so a multifamily means apartment buildings typically, and they've done five of the same type of deal over the past two, three years, and they can show how much success or not they had and learn what they learned from that. Well, that's, that's a much more trusting platform for an investor to consider than someone that was doing flips, flip flips, and now they're going to buy an industrial building. Not to say that can't happen, but it's just that, that that's the key to success. And also an obvious one is how is this a full-time focus for them? So I remember there was several startup businesses where it's a really exciting idea and they gave a compelling pitch and they were compelling individuals, but they were working another full-time job. So it's just, again, you have to make that transition eventually and you're going to be able to rally enough troops to get a deal done. But those are the main components to me. So that's why it also just harkened back to just go deep on that one thing, get a track record. And then you, de- you develop a base of supporters that you can then take with you probably anywhere, quite frankly. Wow. Yeah. So now you've, you've syndicated like over 70 plus units. Um, how are you finding like most of those deals? Are you going to brokers or your investment groups like dig? Yeah. I mean, it's yes, yes. And yes. And most of my opportunities are through brokers mm-hmm. and you know, it's been a bit of a dry spell as far as getting anything, under, getting anything under contract. And that's for two reasons. Number one, it's if I was distracted with, say, a couple flips at, the, at that time, it was hard for me in my mind to then focus so much energy on enough energy on a multifamily opportunity where I could become a, a true candidate for that. And then uh, the, the second thing, I already lost my train of thought to so scratch that, but it's most deal sourcing, it's the brokers kind of control the larger apartment building market. That's not a bad thing. Uh, but I think it's the reality is, you know, when you start looking at especially 50 or greater, 50 units or greater, that's that's uh, the commercial brokers are there just pounding the phones day in and day out, building their property owner network. And they do a great job at that. Sure. So the five to 50, Matt, it's, that's kind of an opportunity to try to develop relationships yourself and i know you are abs- you're doing that yourself and you've had those cold calls and you know finding finding the people that own those buildings yeah and that's a kind of a cool way to do it for those mom and pop type owned buildings that are you know they might be looking to to offload that at some point yeah yeah definitely i think like that's what's good about focusing in one area is you may find one building and get one broker and then you go to call on another building and it's the same broker so you establish yeah. those relationships and um, start getting deals like sent to you. So but the power of just like the power of going deep. And if let's say all you're doing is multifamily five to 50 units. Yeah. So, you know, you and I have had conversations where you'll, you'll ask me about a, a building or an area that's outside of the set criteria that's mm-hmm. developed over years of being spread too thin. And the right answer is just, no, it's not for me. You know, and that's, that was hard for me to say a year ago, yeah. but it's such a time saver. And I think that the key is you, you start to recognize opportunity a lot faster if you're just focused so heavily on that one space where 
there's probably a lot of good deals if you're spreading, if you're looking over here and here and doing a flip and a this and a that, you might miss an otherwise a great opportunity that someone else that's focused more would be able to capitalize on faster. Yeah. Yeah. When we started, like I've been bird dogging for Sean, which is cold calling <laughs> to find deals. Um, but when we, when I started doing that with them, I would bring them like mobile homes or stuff outside of his criteria. And I would ask him every week, like, what about this deal? What about a mobile home? What about a single family package? And he's like, no, five to 50 units. That's it. And so now we're just focusing on that and just being laser focused and on those five to 50 units. You can take those other leads to someone else though, Matt. You have my Yeah, connection. I can. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but you've done, what? what's like the biggest uh, deal that you've done? Like 30, 39 units? It was a 33 unit building, but it was, um, I was, I was, a on the, the general partner side. So really the, the person that was putting the deal together and my role in that was to help attract investor capital to the table. Um, and also just learn that was a, at the time that, that is, that was a large deal so, and for that individual at the time. And for me just to observe how that investor approached it, um, went through, the first year we had a, a bad property manager that <laughs> cost yeah. a lot of money, but it was it was helpful for me to see him go through that, sure. how he shifted quickly and got better people in place. So yeah, that was the largest one, but it wasn't, I, I say not to diminish having a part in that and helping get it to the finish line, but it's not something I, I tackled from beginning to end. And I'm not sure. actively part of it now, just a, a passive, passive, uh, role going uh, at this point. So really it was, uh, there were 10 units that I bought locally in the Philadelphia area. Um, that was, that was found off market through uh, another residential agent, which is kind of cool. Okay. And that, uh, that's, we still own those today and they're performing really well. Sure. So when you do those like larger deals, how long does that take for something to close, like start to finish? Um, do you inspect like every unit? Absolutely, I did, and it took the longest period of time was just trying to get to a price that we agreed on. I mean, it literally took two or three months. When it comes to multifamily, you really got to stick to your guns, and I think what Matt is, has discovered and I have discovered as well is most sellers want more than what it's worth. Imagine that. Yeah. You know, the market is red hot, which makes it hard to find a deal that pencils out or one that looks good on paper. Now, at the end of the day, I mean, you have to sell this with integrity to an investor base. And most of the time I just, I can't get a deal close enough that it's going to make sense for me to do that with confidence. So it's sure. a, it's either a flat out no, or it's offers that just don't go anywhere. You know? Do a lot of times like they come back around, like if you, if they give you one price and you say, Hey, I need it at X. Um, do they ever come back around or how does that conversation go? But, Funny thing, that 33 unit that I was loosely part of was was that exact situation where he was the this he was not the top bidder at the time, but that deal went under contract and then fell through, and then they came back to him. In my own experience, uh, yes, I'd say more often than not, no, but maybe it's too short of a time frame to answer that. Where I, and it's not even a in in the commercial space is what's called a letter of intent, so it's kind of a one page summary of your the offer terms mm -hmm. and 
it's there's a few of them that are floating out there and more often than not no but i know i've heard so many stories where if you explain why you're making the offer that you are and nothing else works out for the seller it might be a matter of time when it does come back and help you but for the 10 units yeah i mean i made a what looked like a low ball offer to the seller but it was backed by my numbers and i shared that with them and eventually they came around sure okay so when you're when you're not um when you're not working like what do you enjoy doing on your well, days the past, off <laughs> i enjoyed playing golf until i got hit in the face by a golf ball which i don't know if you can see my scar it looks that was, good uh, it looks better yeah that was fun yeah yeah i mean i i have two kids 10 and 7 an active wife and in the, uh, during quarantine this is filmed june in 2020 so we're coming slowly out of that but it was uh we played a lot of disc golf if anyone's heard of that that has become a passion of ours to the point where if the event is still on my kids will be my kids will be competing in the united states junior disc golf championship this august <laughs> so wow. that's so cool that's but right yeah that's been a lot of fun that's something we could do every day during quarantine but sean if you're known for one thing what is it oh gosh the weather comes Oh God! How can I forget? <laughs> I mean, shoot! I was hey, gonna save the best for last. Out the window to see what's happening. I know. I see it. It's hottish. So yeah, I love the weather. That is, that is a passion. So disc golf, regular golf, weather, and travel. And the weather. Yes, and the weather. Put it all together. That'd be the best trip. Ever. <laughs> yeah. When I when I started at the How Group, I remember it was your birthday. And someone got you a weatherman cake. And I thought that you were actually like a weatherman on the side, like that was a side job. I, I am. Mean, what what station does he work for? That's funny. Yeah. No, I, yeah. I remember I had all these big visions of, and I have this bread and milk Facebook page uh, set up, and then it didn't snow all winter. It was a shit. <laughs> it was the worst winter, and so I did nothing with it. That, but, that, uh, was, yeah, I, that was just ironic, though, because I, I know. you know, you went, it, but it's set up. It's it's ready for snow. Mm -hmm. You know, like. You're ready to go when it's when coming. It yes, I, I love that very much. That is like that is my comfort zone. If I could find a way to make a great living doing that, I would do that yesterday. So, so I'm, I'm interested in this. We've asked you a lot of questions. And uh, one thing that I like doing on this show is having Matt and I answer the same question. If you could ask us both the same, you know, one question, what, what would you ask us right now? And I'm so, and, and I am definitely putting you on the spot here. If I could ask you guys one question. Yeah. Hmm. Oh, well, that's a great question, Jesse. Yeah. Well, let's see. I uh, let me ask Jesse this this question. I'll ask Matt a different question. So, if your kids asked you that question, how would you answer it to them? If my kids asked me, if you could ask me one question. <laughs> no, no. I guess let, let me let me rephrase it. So. What is the first thing that comes to mind, one piece of advice in any aspect of life that you'd want to give your child? Yeah. What would that be? I think it's success through people. Um, learning how to develop relationships and, and build people up is an absolute way to success. Awesome. All right, Matt, this is just what popped in my head. So yeah, my popcorn thought. Shoot it. Uh, what is the one thing that is consistently holding you back from getting to the next phase of your life, whatever that might be, personal or professional? I've actually been thinking about this a lot. So um, I've really wanted to do 
a bird deal, but I've kind of like, I've never got the right price or stuff like that. So now I'm kind of going through and writing down, um, like what's the worst outcome that could happen. Maybe I get an overpriced bird, like bird deal, which is basically like you fix and flip it. Um, and then you refinance and rent it out. So I'm always worried about like, what if I don't get the right value after I flip it or something goes wrong? So now I'm starting to write down what those outcomes would look like. Um, if I like worst case scenario, and a lot of times they're not that bad. They're like, I'm a little over budget or something like that, but it's helping me become more realistic, um, to close on a deal. I love that. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I think the under or the the underlying concept of fear in general is what holds so many people back, and that's sales or investing or life in general. But it's just that that stifling feeling of being afraid of whatever the outcome might be. And I, yeah, I, I, fear, I deal with that every day too. Success. I mean, those are the two. Those are the two places. Uh, yes, but it's fear of success. Isn't it incredible when you do take action and you? get a taste of what it's like on the other side of fear, not to sound cliche, but it's like that, when that happens, man, it's like everything comes together and you just propel yourself forward until you get, until I get to the next thing that's holding me back, you know? So it's like, that's been my life for the past 10 years. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like everything I've done, like before I've done it, I've always been like extremely afraid of doing it. And then once I do it on the other side, I'm like, oh, that actually worked out a lot better than I thought it Absolutely. would. <laughs> and then I get to the thing I haven't done next. And it's the same thing. I'm like, I'm afraid of doing this, but my track record shows it'll probably turn out okay. Yes. And there's a difference between fear and disgust. Like if you're afraid of something, that's a good sign. Because that means you probably should be doing that. You just got to take the plunge and do it. But if you're disgusted by what you're doing, you're probably doing the wrong thing. I, hopefully yeah. you can tell the distinction There's, between yeah. what I, mean. I I like that uh, distinction that you just made. You know, I think that, you know, people, the, just because you don't like something doesn't mean it's the right thing to do. It's when you're, when you know you should be doing it and yet you're holding yourself back. Like that's the, yeah. the trigger. Absolutely. Um, and uh, yeah, that's great. That's some good advice. Thank you. I should give it to myself as often as possible. I know. So I'm, I'm going to ask the question, uh, Matt. Like, what what is the one piece of real estate wisdom that you've learned that you want to share with our uh, with our show? So, oh god, so many things that just pop right in my head. So I'll try to boil it down the best I can. The one piece of advice. Yeah, I mean, there certainly were a lot of little tidbits of advice that were handed along the passed down along the way. Um, I mean, I like, I mean, your your concept of success through people is so absolutely true. Um, so I think uh, this kind of stream of thought. So what I've discovered in my own experience is that most people are too afraid to take action, and people that do take action attracts a lot of interest from others, which is a good thing. So to me, for 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 anyone in real estate sales, it's uh, do what the successful people have done before you. Again, cliche, but so absolutely true. I see new agents come in all the time that want to do it their own way, and it drives me bananas, but I'm, I'm tired of fighting people. 
Uh, so from a, from a real estate sales standpoint, real estate sales is a sales job. It's a sales job first, it's a sales job second, it's a sales job third, it's a sales job fourth. Oh, and you're a real estate agent fifth. So what comes with sales? It's learning your scripts and dialogues that have been proven successful for decades before you. The sellers and buyers say the exact same thing 20 years ago as they do today. So just learn how to handle those things with scripts and you'll be golden. And then from the investing standpoint, it's if I, if I could go back in time, it would be the house hack. The concept of house hacking is so powerful. So Matt, I respect you for doing that. But the, what that means is you, know, you can buy a two to four unit building using the same mortgage that you would buy a one unit building or a single house. And if I can go back in time, I would do that, live for free in that house, eventually keep it as a rental and move on and do it again. So yeah, that's it. That's awesome. Well, clearly we just got 45 minutes of just knowledge from Sean Lowry. Straight and gold. Gold. There's, uh, there's a lot to pick through there uh, and we will definitely be doing that. Um, but I, I certainly appreciate you spending 45 minutes uh, with us and on the show. Um, yeah, it's been, it's been fantastic. Well, thank you for doing this. Having done something similar for years, it's, it's an investment of time and, and preparation. So I appreciate you guys. And hopefully it adds some value to someone out there on the road. Yeah. I mean, I got a lot out of it. I just needed multifamily advice. So that's why I had you on as our guest. <laughs> so it's a free session for me. That's nice. pretty cool. Nice, yeah. nice job, Matt. Uh, yeah. Nice way to work in uh, free education. Uh-huh. I didn't we'll pay put, a fee. We'll put on our podcast. There we go. I love it. I love oh, it. Oh, I have one other thing that came to my mind. Can I throw it in there before we cut it down? Shut yeah. It down? So there's an interesting concept of... One of the things that I, that is, and still to this day, it holds me back is when I compare myself to someone else that's doing what I want to do better than me. And that's a concept called comparing yourself to the ideal. So in other words, there's always going to be someone that's doing more of what you want to do, whether they've been doing it longer or they just do it better and faster, who knows? But if you compare yourself to that person, you're going to always feel like you're less and you're, you're always it's gonna maybe cause you to hold yourself back because you're not going to believe in yourself and i think you guys have both helped me believe uh, understand that flip the table and look back to yourself and the progress you've made i totally forget that like matt looks up to me because of what i've done and yet i look down on myself because i look at what that guy's doing that i want to do and i'm not there yet yeah but then when i get there i'll be like okay i won't give myself any credit for what i've accomplished the past five years I'll look at what the next guy's doing and then I'll die when I'm 90 and then I'll be a set, you know? So it's like, if that makes sense, it's, it's be grateful for the progress you've made. And sometimes the progress you've made is way more than you ever realize until you stop and just give it some thought. Brilliant. I, I look up to you, Sean, by the way, you didn't, you didn't say that, but I want, I want to put it on the record that I do look up to you. That is Thanks, actually Jesse. a statement. Ditto. Uh, well, thank you so much for being on. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for being on, man. We appreciate it. Any weather questions, let me know. <laughs> All right, everyone. Thanks for listening. You can join us weekly on Spotify, Apple Podcast, and YouTube. Please subscribe and leave a rating or review. It really helps us out. You can find out more about me at callphillyhome.com, callphillyhome at Instagram, or email me at matt.talent at compass.com. And you can find out more about my co-host, Jesse Johnson, at howrealestate.com, Jesse Johnson on Instagram, and email him at jesse.johnson at compass.com.